Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want to read a couple of passages from the Psalms. As we were singing this morning, <clears throat> my heart found its way to Psalm 66. It says, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praises glorious. Say to God, How awesome are Thy works. Because of the greatness of Thy power, Thy enemies have fiend obedience to Thee. All the earth will worship Thee, and all will sing praises to Thee, and will sing praises to Thy name. And in Psalm 96, sing joy, sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth, sing unto the Lord, bless His name, proclaim the good tidings of His salvation, tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the people, for great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, for He is feared above all gods. As we just take a cursory glance, a cursory glance through the Psalms, we see constantly that we are encouraged to give God praise and give God glory because He and He alone is worthy of our praise. And I fear that we reserve the praise and glory due God for Sunday morning. It's my fear that you know, we, we fill in our bulletin and we say, time of praise and worship, and that's the only time we set aside to praise the God who is worthy of all praise and all glory. I pray that this morning, that as you did sing praises and glory to His name, that, that God has laid upon your heart that we are to praise Him for who He is, not because it's 1045 on Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And when He saw the multitudes, He went up to the mountain, and after He sat down, His disciples came to Him, and He opened His mouth, and He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you men when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven. And so they have persecuted the prophets who were also before you. Father, as we hear your word this morning, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit encourage us in the midst of hardship and difficulty. May your word speak truth to our hearts, strengthen us. Or may your word convict us of where we fail that we may come into obedience. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. Well, as we continue to study the book of Matthew, we're reminded that the book of Matthew was written by Matthew, 
All right, let's 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 start again. This is this is the part where 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 we're given a quiz every Sunday. So the book of Matthew was written by Matthew, and it was written to to the Jews to present Jesus as the son of David. Very good. And so we see Matthew written for a very specific purpose to a very specific audience to convey a very specific idea. Now, as we get to let me let me go ahead and 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 warn you, uh, I'm not going to finish today. We're not going to get through all 12 of these verses. Uh, we're probably really only going to get through about five or six of them. Uh, so, so, so you'll, you'll, you'll be okay. We'll, we'll make it out in plenty of time uh, for you to go to Piccadilly. I just want to, I just want you to understand that, that, that we're going to spend some time here in these passages. Uh, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is divided into two major sections. As Jesus gathers, this is, this is, one of the most concentrated uh, compilations of the teachings of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. We have Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, all concentrated here on the teachings of Jesus, what he taught. And it's divided up into two major sections. The first section is what we refer to as the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. The second section is, is what we are to do. So the first section is concentrated on what we are to be, who we are to be, what our character is to be, and the second section is reflective of what we are to do once we have accomplished what we are to be. Now this is the foundational element of Christianity. This is one of the things that differentiates Christianity from every other religion that is out there. Every other religion that is out there, save Christianity, says what you do affects who you are. If you do good unto others, if you show mercy, if you show kindness, then you will be favored by God. Then, then, then God will have favor upon you. If you, if you help the poor, if you, if you are, are kind to others, if you do X, Y, or Z, then you will receive favor from God. Christianity is different. It says you cannot do unless you are first transformed from the inside out. That's the whole nature. That's the, the essential difference from Christianity. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. On the end of Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul spends the entire book of, chapter, of, of Romans chapter 1 through 11 explaining the gospel. And then he gets to Romans chapter 12 and he says... Therefore, my brethren, I beseech you, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, now that you've heard the gospel, do these things. And then verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind from the inside, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable in the sight of God. And so it is this idea, Christianity is this idea that, that, that there is a change on the inside. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, all those who are in Christ are a new creature. Behold, the old has passed away and behold, all things become new. There is, a, there is a change that is wrought within our hearts. And that change that is wrought within our hearts then becomes effectual in changing our behavior. Our conduct does not determine our character, but rather our character determines our conduct. Who we are determines what we do, not what we do that determines who we are. A dog barks, why? Because it's a dog. 
A duck quacks. Why? Because it's a duck. Its character determines its actions, not the other way around. If I bark, that doesn't make me a dog. If I quack, that doesn't make me a duck. My character determines my actions, not the other way around. My actions do not determine my character. Who I am determines what I will do. Now, that's not to say that sometimes that we do things that are inconsistent with our character. Because we certainly do. Ask my children. And that is, that is the process of sanctification where the Holy Spirit takes us and he changes our heart. But then he continually works through us that he may, that he may fix our actions through changing our heart. Now, as I was looking through and as I was studying the book of uh, this Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12, we, we see something that even if you are not a biblical scholar, you ought to pick up on. Every verse begins, blessed. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And, and even the, the, the most elementary studier, the most elementary scholar is going to ask the question, what's the author saying? What's Matthew saying? What's Jesus saying when he said, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And so I, I began to look and study this, this word blessed, and it comes from the Greek word makarios, which is translated every other where in Scripture, which is translated everywhere else in the New Testament, happy. But most of the translators did not want to translate happy are you, happy are you, happy are you, happy are you, because in our world and in our culture, happiness has such a superficial and such a temporal context. We're happy when we're sitting on the beach and we've got, we've got an ice cream cone in one hand and we've got a good book in the other hand. We're happy based upon the circumstances in our life, not based upon things that are, that are deeper and things that are more meaningful. And so many and most of your translators, will English translators, will steer away from that word happiness because happiness carries with it such a temporal and such a, a superficial understanding of, of joy and fulfillment. But, but that's, that's, what it, that's what it says. Now, it is not a... The Greek understanding of the word happy is not the same understanding of our English word happy of a, of a temporal, superficial understanding. It is a very deep, satisfying fulfillment and more, more consistent with, with, with where we would understand joyful. That, that, that we understand that we can be joyful even though we are not happy. Even though there are not fantastic circumstances in our lives. That, that, that we can demonstrate joy and lasting happiness and lasting fulfillment based upon our relationship with Christ. Augustine said it like this. He said, speaking of God, he says, God has made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. That there is a, a natural desire that is embedded within us that we long for happiness and fulfillment. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. Brother Chris is 
not here this morning, so you'll actually have to flip to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in your Bibles. If you get to the book of Psalms, just keep going. Proverbs, keep going. Song of Solomon, keep going. You'll eventually get to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want you to really read this with me. I want you to follow along with me because I think that this is profound. The world that we live in strives for, longs for, clamors for happiness. The reality is is that most people think that if they get more stuff, they're going to be happy. If they have more money, they're going to be happy. If they go on more vacations, they're going to be happy. If they have a bigger house, they're going to be happy. If they have a nicer car, they're going to be happy. Or if they have a better job, they're going to be happy. If they have better retirement, they're going to be happy. And so they clamor after happiness. They clamor after fulfillment. They clamor after satisfaction. What can I do if I can, if I can just seek pleasure? We live in a world today that is full of hedonism, that pleasure is, is, is the chief end. The wisest man in all of history, writes Ecclesiastes. And I want you to hear what he said. He said, I come to myself, and I said, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and behold, it too is futility. I said, of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? I explored, I want you to listen to these next few verses. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there was for the sons of men to do under heaven in the few years of their life. This is the wisest man on the face of the planet and this is what he said. I have used all of my faculties to figure out how to indulge my body and my mind and my senses with all of the pleasure that I can possibly figure out. And if this is the wisest man in the world, he probably figured out a lot of ways to incur pleasure and enjoyment and entertainment. He then elaborates. Verse 4. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself in which to irrigate the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I also collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I provided myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. I became great and I increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because all of my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Solomon had all of the resources in all of the world. And he said, I'm going to use all of those resources 
to glut in my senses. Whether it be emotional satisfaction, physical satisfaction, mental satisfaction. He said, I am going to use every resource that I have at my disposal to fulfill the desires that I have. And coming to the end of that, he said, it's like striving and grasping for the wind. This is the plight of the world that we live in. This is the plight of many of us. We're striving for that which is going to satisfy us, that which is going to make us happy, that which is going to fulfill us, that which is going to give us joy. And we don't find it. Jesus is going to say later on in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he's going to say, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you seek after all these things, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to be fulfilled. But if you seek after God and His righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. How? Matthew chapter 5. Happy are you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. If I'm reading this just as a casual, as a casual reader, I see blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm persecuted, if I'm hungry and thirsty, if I'm poor, if I am all of these things, I'm certainly not going to be happy. That, just, that, that is antithetical to the way that we think. But I want us to see what Jesus is really saying here. Jesus is not speaking of the physical realm, but Jesus is speaking of the spiritual realm. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Step one in real, genuine joy and happiness is an acknowledgement of our spiritual poverty. That doesn't make any logical, natural sense. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the preaching of the crosses of those who are perishing foolishness. But the first step in genuine happiness, the first step in genuine fulfillment, the first step in genuine, genuine joy and, and, and fulfillment and lasting happiness is acknowledging your spiritual poverty. Jesus said, you are happy, you are fulfilled, you are joyful when you are poor in spirit. When you acknowledge your poverty, your spiritual poverty your spiritual depravity when we realize that we are liars and that we are thieves and that we are adulterers and that we're murderers and the reason that we lie is because we're liars and the reason that we steal is because we're thieves and the reason that we look at a woman or a man to, with lust in our heart and the reason that we have hatred with our brother is because there's hatred in our heart and we murder our brother. Jesus is going to unpack all of this here in the next couple verses. 
And the problem is that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Look at what the scripture says. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. He says this. Jeremiah says of the heart. He says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 7, uh, Romans chapter 7 verse 18. Paul said this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing to do good is present, but the doing of good is not. When we come to grips with the reality of the depravity and the poverty of our soul, we find ourselves begging just like anyone else who is in poverty. But we find ourselves begging before a gracious God who gives generously and who gives freely. Which brings us to step two. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will find themselves begging. They will find themselves beggars before a God who gives freely and graciously. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Blessed are those who mourn. And we think immediately about mourning at a funeral, mourning over those who have died. But that's not what the text implies. The text implies when we realize who we are, we are mourning and grieving over our spiritual poverty and over our spiritual depravity. That we are grieved because we see ourselves for who we are. Wicked, desperately sick, in need of grace. And what does the scripture say? Look at verse verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's interesting, the language there, they shall be comforted. The word comfort there is the word word parakleo, which is where we get our word comfort from, which is the exact same language used in John chapter 14, verse 16, when Jesus said, I'm leaving you, and when I leave you, I will send you what? The paraclete, the helper, the comforter. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that when you come to grips with and you acknowledge your spiritual poverty, you become a beggar. You become grieved over your your sin, over your spiritual bankruptness. And then you cry out to God. And He gives you the comforter, the Holy Spirit who comes into your life and takes that which is broken and and does something with it. Take that which is is deceitfully sick. And the scripture tells us in Jeremiah that that God takes our, our, our old heart and he replaces it with a new heart. Ezekiel says it like this. He takes our heart of flesh, our heart of stone, and replaces it with a heart of flesh that there is a transformation that comes about. And that transformation comes about through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through that paraclete, that there are those who are mourned. Blessed are you, happy are you, when you mourn, because then you will receive the Comforter. You will receive the Holy Spirit. He will come and He will indwell you. And He will fill you. 
And even in the midst of the greatest pain and the greatest hardship, you will have comfort because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Then you will experience true happiness, true satisfaction, true joy, not because your circumstances are good, but because you have a relationship with the living God through His Holy Spirit. Are you seeing the, 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 the logical thought of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here? You are happy when you acknowledge that, that you're in great need and you cry out to the God of grace and He fills that great need with giving you Himself. And then verse 6, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. If we acknowledge who we are, we have a real grasp of who we are in light of who He is, and we find ourselves begging before a great and gracious God, being the recipient of the Holy Spirit, we have no choice but to be humble. We have no choice but to be meek and gentle. We have no entitlement. God doesn't owe us the Holy Spirit. He doesn't owe us salvation. But we are the recipients of a great gift which we do not deserve. And when, we're, when we receive such a great gift, there's no other response but humility, meekness, gentleness. Jesus said, you're truly happy. You're truly satisfied. Not when you have stuff, but when you have God. When you have that comforter. It's interesting as Jesus begins to unpack this for his disciples, he's challenging everything that this world thinks he's taking the way and the logic of this world and he's turning it on his head and he's going to do this all throughout the sermon on the mount he's going to take the way that we normally naturally think and he's going to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand metaneo change the way you think happiness is not found in the things of this world happiness is found in the God who rules over this world. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. Chapter 14, verse 9. <clears throat> what does meekness, gentleness, humility look like? If blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are bankrupt in spirit, if blessed, happy are those who cry out for the comforter, who mourn and grieve over their bankrupt state and cry out for a comforter, and blessed are those who are then happy are those who are then humble, what does that look like? Humility, meekness, looks like submission to the Lordship of Jesus. Romans chapter 17, verse 9, I'm sorry, 14, verse 9, says this. 
For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. I think we, we miss the purpose of Jesus because of the actions of Jesus. As Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, fulfilled every aspect of the scripture, died on a Roman cross, was buried in a grave, rose three days later, ascended to heaven, and has promised he's coming back. And we see Jesus as the Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We see John's statement in John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see Jesus is our propitiation, our payment for sin. We see all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is that Passover lamb. Jesus is that, that, that scapegoat. Jesus is that burnt offering offered for us. And I believe the actions of Christ somehow eclipse the purpose of Christ. What does Paul say his purpose was? Look at it again. For to this end... Christ lived, Christ died, and lived again. Paul says, listen, this is the purpose for everything that Christ did. I'm about to tell you, so pay attention. To this end, Christ lived, died and lived again, that he might be both, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. The purpose for all that Christ did, his chief end was that he might be what? Lord, you can say it. That's the right answer. The chief end of Christ, all that he did, was that he might be Lord. Let's say it again. The purpose of Jesus, everything that he did, everything that he would do, everything that he will do, is so that he would be Lord. Do you realize that in the New Testament, the word Savior is mentioned about 25 times? Referencing Jesus. Referencing Jesus, the word Lord is mentioned 600 times. There's a reason. Jesus' chief end is, the he, is that he might be Lord. That we might see ourselves for who we are, completely bankrupt, completely depraved, completely in need of Jesus, that we become mourners and grievers over who we are, that we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. That's his chief end. That he would be Lord, both of the living and the dead. Acts says it like this. Peter says it in his sermon. He says, Acts chapter 2, if you don't like the way Paul says it, let's look at the way Peter says it. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God had made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, for this reason God gave him, God exalted him above all the heavens. Gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's the question I have to us this morning. 
Do we desire makarios, true, genuine happiness? Not happiness that this world promises us when we buy the next fad that's on TV. Not happiness when we, when we get more money or when we get more success or when we have more friends or when fill in the blank. But do we truly desire happiness, joy, lasting fulfillment? Because it's found only when we see ourselves for who we are, spiritually bankrupt. We cry out, we are filled with mourning and grief. We cry out to God and we are given the comforter and we submit ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus. If that's you, we need to repent. Change the way we think. Throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am wretched and, and I deserve punishment, condemnation. But I know that You're a God of grace and You're a God of forgiveness. Have mercy on me. Save me. Give me Let's pray. Father, this morning, there are those who are here who are seeking happiness. They've tried everything that they know. Tried to fill their lives with pleasure. Tried to fill their lives with stuff. They've been Solomon, seeking everything that their mind can devise and come to the same conclusion. It's like grasping for the wind. Father, this morning, may you lay hold of them. And may you draw them by your Holy Spirit to the cross. The very same cross where Jesus looked at the thief and said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. The truth of the Gospel is that Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Church, and if you're here this morning, and your life is not happy, joyful, fulfilled, Maybe it's because you've never trusted Jesus. You've been trying to do all these good things to garner favor from God instead of allowing God to transform you from the inside. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning you simply needed to be reminded that God is our source of joy and happiness. Maybe this morning you need to met metaneo, you need to repent of the way that you're thinking and trust God to provide you joy, happiness, and fulfillment. Lord, this morning as we sing a hymn of appeal, or may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts.
Convict us of sin. Bring us to a relationship, vibrant relationship with Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. couple announcements I want to make you aware of. Next Sunday, uh, May the 3rd, is our Athletic Sunday. Uh, so we will be recognizing all of our athletes uh, from our school. Uh, so we want to remember to be here for that. Right after service, uh, we'll be feeding them. Uh, and then we're going to go right next door, uh, and we're going to uh, play a, a, a softball game in which uh, the old people are going to uh, beat up on the, the young people. So that'll be, that'll be fun.